The words I want to draw your attention to are found in the verse 24 of the epistle to Jude that we have just read. Verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. There is a little phrase in there, him that is able. There are a few times when I've begun to preach that I've made a statement that may surprise you. I hope at the end of this service you say to me, Tim, I had no idea what you were talking about. I will be very thankful if that's your experience. I suspect some will understand, and by God's good grace, we may meet together at the throne of grace, where we may find help in time of need. We are pilgrims traveling through a barren land. We meet many difficulties We have many heartaches, we have many concerns in our own hearts, don't we? I'm not saying and undermining the wonder of creation. It's been a beautiful day today. We went out for a walk this afternoon. It it was glorious. And all the wonderful things God has given us, family and home and all the things we enjoy, of course they're right and proper and we're thankful for them. But many of us feel spiritually barren. Many of us find life hard as we go on. We have certain difficulties and certain trials. This phrase, God is able, has no real meaning to you when life is going smoothly, when life is easy. Sometimes, as the psalmist says, we're brought into a spacious place. He brought me forth into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. And sometimes the Lord brings us there and we, we have a time of refreshing and relaxation and we can stay there for a while, but we don't stay there very long. I think it was John Bunyan who said, Um, of the Christian when one trouble doth him leave another swiftly doth him seize and for many of us that's the experience sometimes it's wave upon wave we have more than one at a time and we sometimes hardly know how to go on for the most part that's our experience we live in a spiritual battlefield don't we we want to do what's right yet we find ourselves equally it seems wanting to do what's wrong We read sometimes, or I do, uh, Romans chapter 7, where Paul wrestles with those things. And I'm so encouraged that this man, the Apostle Paul, who I'm going to put up there as one of the most mighty men of God, wrestles like you and I do, exactly the same, and struggles with these things. So it often rages. This phrase is mentioned a number of times in Scripture, and I want to do a whistle-top tour of some of them. I'm not going to go to every one and just to go through some of them. The first one is in Daniel chapter 4, verse 37. Let me read it to you. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honour the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Nebuchadnezzar was king. He was the most powerful man in the world at that time, reigning over a a very large empire, not just his own nation. And he had been given a vision, and Daniel had come and interpreted that vision and told him, uh, to warn him, that if he became overproud, then God would judge him. I'm putting it simply, so you can just remind you, refresh your memory. And some 12 months later, um, that came to true. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was looking over that vast city he had made and pride came in his heart and he said, look what I've built. And immediately God came and judged him and he became like an animal and he was thrown out and you read there that um, feathers grew on his back and his nails became like animal uh, bird claws and he did eat grass. And he makes this statement I've just read to you, 
when he's restored. He's been there for some time and eventually his sanity returns to him and God reinstates him and puts him back on the throne. And then he says, those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. God abased the most powerful man in the world at that time and God is able to do that. God does abase some of his chosen um, saints too as well as sinners through various dispensations of providence. He did to the prodigal son, didn't he? Uh, we know that's a parable, but it, it's a very helpful parable that the Lord told. This, pa- this son was full of pride. He wanted the father's money. He wished his father was dead. He went off into a far country, and then eventually he was brought to his knees, both physically and, and, uh, and uh, spiritually. And he decided he's going to go back to his father. He, in, that, in that parable, the Lord shows how he was abased, and he had to come back to his father And in essence, he's coming back to his father and saying, he is able, he can restore me. But he came back in humility. I'm no more worthy to be called one of your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And then we see the incomprehensible grace of the father. Bring forth the robe. Bring the ring. Bring the shoes. He didn't even let him finish his, his prepared speech, did he? But he had been abased. And God was able to reinstate him. We read the same similar thing with Isaiah in, in chapter 6. He goes and, and has that vision of God. and we, he, he ha, that, that, uh, The word is holy, holy, holy. It, in chapter 6, it's a Hebrew way of emphasizing. You'll come across the expression elsewhere in the Bible where the same word is, three, is repeated three times. It's a Hebrewism to emphasize the truth. Yes, we might say it speaks of the Trinity too. I'm sure that's there. But it's an emphasis. And, and Isaiah has seen something of the utter holiness of God. And then God says, who shall I send? And then having been humbled, here am I, send me. The Lord was able to give him a glimpse of God's holiness, to show him he was worthless, and then put in his heart the desire to serve. He is able to do that. He brings us into circumstances or sometimes permits us to bring ourselves into circumstances where we ought not to go. And he brings us to a point where we see our utter inability to extricate ourselves from the situation we're in, even if it's one we brought on ourselves. We want to go back and turn the clock back. We want to say, I wish I hadn't made that decision. I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't had that relationship or whatever it is. And you long to go back and you can't. And you're in a position you cannot possibly change. He is able. When you're that low, you begin to understand what Psalm 107 is about. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he heard them. That's that's a repetitive saying in that psalm, and there are various situations they're brought into, the people in that psalm. And then they cry out, and he is able, and he restored them on each occasion when you read that Psalm 107. The second one is Romans chapter 4, verse 17. <clears throat> Let me just go and read it to you. It's helpful just for me to quickly read it to you. Romans four seventeen. <clears throat> but that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in his name, in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus Christ. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, 
judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding... <coughs> I'm sorry, I'm reading Acts. I do beg your pardon. No wonder it doesn't quite make sense. Romans 4:17, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him who he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, but was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. I'm sorry, I read the wrong uh, reference there. <coughs> Abraham was fully persuaded. I think I mentioned this morning that Abraham was an old man. He's, he's 90, he'd waited, uh, sorry, 100. He'd waited 25 years for that child. And that child eventually came along. And you may have to confess, my faith is weak by comparison. I don't have the level of faith that Abraham was given or Sarah. He is able in providence to provide everything that he has promised. He's able to do it in salvation and he has done it in salvation. His name is Jehovah Jireh. He will provide even when it seems impossible. The situation for Abraham and Sarah seemed impossible, but he was able to do that. Philippians 3, uh, Philippians 3 verse 21 is very similar. God is able to subdue all things. Who shall charge our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, working in you whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. He can subdue Satan. He can subdue you and I. He can subdue his chosen sinners, his chosen people, his sinners by grace. He will subdue all things. There is a day coming when he will subdue everything. Everything will be beneath his feet and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He is able to do that. He's able to perform the resurrection of our bodies. We have that understanding, don't we, from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there will be that time when we are taken, that our bodies, we will be resurrected. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes back the second time, the bodies will be raised and, 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 we will be, and our souls will be reunited and we will have a new spiritual body. He is able to do that. You think he can't do the smaller things you want? Well, maybe he won't do them if you want them, but maybe he will do them if they're in accordance with his will. There is nothing that he cannot do. He is able to do these things. 1 Timothy 1.12 For the which cause I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. What have you committed to him? Have you committed your soul to him? Can you rest there through all the changing scenes of life? Whatever you are facing, whatever concerns you have, and I'm, I'm sure some of you have some serious ones, is your soul there? 
the Apostle Paul could say that, I am persuaded that he is able to keep all things. I trust that you can say that. That may not be your experience every day, but I pray that it will be when you need to have that comfort of those things. Are you able to entrust him with your children or grandchildren or your, your siblings or your, your others you know, whether you're younger, maybe your parents. There are some young Christians whose parents aren't believers. Are you able to entrust all of those things to him? It's not easy to do that. And many a parent has had to pass away having prayed all their days for their offspring. And they do not know when they pass away whether the Lord will work in their heart. But he is able to do that. Our responsibility is to continually bring them to the throne of grace, even when your heart aches. And we must do that. He is able to do that. Because once in him, we are in him forever. That doesn't mean trials and difficulties won't come our way, because they do. It doesn't mean that discipline won't come your way. If you are walking contrary to God, he may discipline you. For no discipline for the moment seeth joyous but grievous. Yet nevertheless, afterwards it yieldeth the peaceable fruits of righteousness. If you are walking contrary to him and you are a, a Christian person, a Christian man or woman, then the Lord may well bring discipline to bring you back onto his line. And it won't be pleasant. But as a, a, human, a good human parent disciplines their child to, to keep them in line, our Heavenly Father does that to us, to keep us in line. He is able to do that. And later on, you will thank him for that even though at the time it seems grievous. Hebrews 2.18 For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. You will be tempted. And Satan is a very skilled adversary and he knows exactly where your weak point is. And he will come and attack you on your weakest point, at your weakest moment, when you are most vulnerable he will come and attack you. It's not my words, but a, a, a pastor I know said uh, Satan is very skilled. He's had 6,000 years of experience, meaning from creation to now. He knows exactly what your weakness is and your weakness and my weakness, and he will bring about circumstances to, to uh, entrap you, and you will fall sometimes in these temptations. And when you do fall, you will find it hard we thought on, uh, on Wednesday afternoon of sometimes uh, there are those occasions when godly men, biblical men fall. Sometimes a man like Noah gets drunk. Sometimes a man like Samson will do all he can to lay his head in Delilah's lap. Sometimes a man like Peter will be found cursing and swearing. And we went through a number of sometimes. And those were godly men, the men that God used. And yet they were brought into temptation and you will be brought into temptation. And sometimes you will fall, and you may fall in a way that you cannot tell anybody else. You may come into a circumstance or a situation. You have to carry it in here. If you're very blessed, you may have someone who you can trust and share it with them. But some have to carry these things alone. And if you are brought into temptation, sometimes the Lord is gracious and will limit it and will give you, uh, enable you when you're under that temptation to find a way out. He doesn't always do that. Sometimes it's to show your utter and total weakness. And then there'll be certain, certain scriptures that will be important to you. Psalm 38. 
you read Psalm 38, you'll see in there he roars. The psalmist roars. And you may be brought to a situation like that where you feel you've just got to roar. I am troubled, I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are filled with loathsome disease and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of my disquietness. I'm going to be personal just for a second. I can remember occasion under great concern, wanting to know the Lord's will, wanting to know what I should do, couldn't see any way forward, and I can take you to a certain field that we went to, I went to on my own, there was nobody there, and I roared out loud. I'd read Psalm 38, and I thought, well, the Thomas did it, I'm going to do it. You are brought to such a low point. You are brought to a point of utter weakness. It may be, as I've just said, something you brought on yourself. It may be an exercise. It may be a concern. It may be family issues. There can be all sorts of reasons why you can be brought so low. And you cry out. You maybe cry out at home in quietness, in anguish. But sometimes you just want to let it go. And you find a... a, a deserted spot, maybe on top of the downs when there's nobody there, maybe in a quiet field, and you just roar to the Lord. He is, and he is able to bring you through, and he does bring you through. If you have fallen and fallen grievously, you'll begin to think that he has every right to cast you into hell, and you'll tremble that he may do that. And you may think, the judge of all the earth shall do right. If he throws me to hell, thy righteous law approves it well. And you have to acknowledge that. These are difficult situations. You can now see why when I opened my discourse, I said, I hope you have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you have been brought there, you will know something about them. You wonder why he hasn't cast you to hell. You know you're walking contrary. You know you've suffered a temptation. You know you've fallen. You know you're misbehaving. Oh, it's all going on in here. Maybe nobody else has any idea about it. Maybe they do. Maybe it's public. And you wonder why he hasn't cast you directly to hell. Because he is able to save you to the uttermost. He sometimes permits those experiences, but he's able to bring you through. And what do you do when you're in that situation? If it's temptation, well, then you've got to fight against it, and that's not very easy. <coughs> Excuse me. 6th of June, 1944, many of you will know that as D-Day. It was the greatest uh, seaborne invasion the world has ever known. Thousands of men, thousands of planes, hundreds and hundreds of ships, all the equipment needed for an army, crossed the channel, and, and gained a foothold on Normandy. The Germans knew that if, the, if they had managed to gain a foothold in Normandy, they knew the war was over. It was a tremendous battle. There's an old boy, I called him an old boy, he's, he's passed away now, he lived along my road, he had an old car, and when he got very old, he couldn't look after himself, and he called me along and we'd tinker together. And he'd sit on a little stool beside me and tell me what to do, which always amused me, but never mind, that's fine. We had a lovely relationship with him. And one day he, we was, he was sitting there chatting and he told me about D-Day. He was a Royal Marine. He said, I was one of the first on the beach. And he told me some of the things he's seen. My wife doesn't know this, he said. 
my daughter doesn't know this. I've never told anybody. Such was the horror. Such was that battle there. And if you are struggling against sin, you will have something of that battle. And in the same way that Germany knew that if, if the Allies managed to get a foothold, they didn't give up. They didn't say, okay, we'll, we'll capitulate. That battle went on from, from the 6th of June right through to the following year. The Germans fought all the way. That old Marine I'm just telling you about, he told me of another bloody battle. He said, I'm not going to tell you any details. It was so bloody, I'm not even going to tell you. And some of the battles we have, spiritual battles, have something of that in them. We fight against them and everything in us wants to give up. And we must fight and push on. I think the words of the Lord Jesus Christ said in, in the Garden of Gethsemane must be one of the hardest words for us to pray. He's brought there, isn't he, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says to his disciples, he says to nine of them, sit, sit ye here and pray and I go a bit further. And then he goes a bit further with the three, Peter, James and John, and, and tells them to sit there. And then he goes a little further on his own. He brings the closest three to him as close as he can, but he's got to do battle on his own. And the things I'm talking about, you may have to do battle on your own. And the Lord prays a prayer that you may find very hard to pray. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It may be very hard for you to pray that prayer. Because what you want, what you desire, it may be right, it, or it may not be right, but you so want it. It's not easy to pray Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. It's a very low place to bring. And sometimes the Lord brings us there. And when he does, he is able. He has a sympathetic heart. He was in always tempted as we are. I thought about that recently. Always. There are certain things we don't speak about in public. Well, certainly not in a place of worship. Certain aspects of life. He was a young man. You can hint what I'm hinting at. Did Jesus Christ suffer like that? Sorry, not suffer, but was he tempted like that? Well, if he was tempted in all ways, yeah, he, he had those temptations, which I'm not going to mention in public, but you know what I'm alluding to. He was tempted in every way. We are utterly weak, and the Lord permits these sometimes. I'm going to repeat, it may be our own doing. It may be our own weaknesses, our own failings, where we knew something wasn't right and still continue to do what we shouldn't have done. It shows us our total weakness, our frailty, our inability to resist temptation. I have never done what is right. Jesus Christ has never failed to do what is right. There is an impossible to describe gulf between those two things. Our failures of all kinds... You say, well, you're, you're hinting at some graphic failures. Well, some of them are, but they may not always be your experience. But what about other things that you may indeed fall short on? What about the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance, which you might understand as self-control. How's your long-suffering? How's your gentleness? Do you struggle with anger? 
Have you got a short temper? How's your goodness? How's your faith? Is it strong or is it weak? Are you meek? When you're railed against, do you instantly rise up and want to give an answer? Or do you think and ponder? Have you got self-control in all situations? We fail in all of those things, don't we? Galatians 5.22. And those are there, that's the standard set for us. What about the Ten Commandments? Have you failed there? Are you covetous? Such and such, so-and-so's got this or that, that house or car or, or whatever it is. Oh, I, I'd like that. It's natural. I remember we live in a very nice home, don't misunderstand me, and not long ago we went to visit someone who lives in a very nice home, if I can put it simply like that. And for a day or two I, I was struggling. And I had to give myself a real dressing down. Tim, you live in a lovely home, in a lovely spot. How can you be covetous? But it's part of us, isn't it? We see something, I want that. We are tempted. Remember his grace. You remember that, that lovely chapter where <clears throat> he goes off, the, the, the parables the Lord tells. He goes off, he leaves the 99 and goes off to the one who's lost. And so if you are the one who's lost, you won't be lost. The Lord will leave the 99 and he'll come and search for you. He'll come and find you. And he'll bring you back on his shoulders rejoicing. But you've gone off and there may be a while where you are away from the, from the, the flock. But he'll bring you back. Have you strayed? Well, the Lord hasn't condemned you. You know in your heart whether you, you've walked wrongly or rightly. You, you almost don't need the Lord to tell you. So where do I take my failures? Where do I take my sins? Not wishing to repeat this morning. There's only one place you can take them to the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's very easy for those words to slip off my tongue. I know it's a phrase that we're all familiar with. But when you see him standing there, sorry, crucified there, then you begin to understand the seriousness of your sin. Was it for my sin he suffered and died? Yes. These temptations, these experiences, I'm going to use a powerful word, are ferocious sometimes. They are more than you think you can possibly withstand. They are seemingly impossible to deal with. There is no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful and will not suffer you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You say, but that's not my experience now. I am struggling so much with this temptation, with this concern, I'm not sure how I can deal with it. But in God's grace, you will deal with it in time. In my apprenticeship in engineering, working in an engineering shop, for one hour a day, they used to play music on the tannoy. It was only one hour a day because some liked it and some didn't. And there was a, an old boy, well, he, was, he seemed an old boy to me when I was 17, but he was probably younger than I am now. He had a lovely voice and there was one particular song that used to come on the tannoy and when it came on he would strike up and he would sing. It was a love song, it was, it was very right and proper, proper and I can hear him singing it now as I'm about to tell you the, the name of it. Hold my hand, I'm a stranger in paradise. And as I hear that I can hear this old man Bert Hillman singing. I thought of that the other day. Lord hold my hand, I'm a stranger here. I'm struggling. There are certain things we're struggling with. I don't know how to contend with them. 
And I thought of that old man, hold my hand. And I want our Heavenly Father to hold your hand and your hand and your hand and your hand as we go through these difficulties that we each face. I'm a stranger here. I've no abiding city here. I seek a city yet to come, and that's your experience too. But we are here. We're just a travelling through, but it's a hard road sometimes, isn't it? Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. It's a lovely prayer, that hymn that we sing sometimes, and you can pray that. A friend of mine in his text often uh, signs off his text. I text a lot with various people I know. It's a, an easy way of communicating. And he often signs off his text with IHG. And I didn't know what it meant. So I had to ask him what it meant. In his grip. What a lovely way to finish a text. A nice discourse. In his grip. Once in him, in him forever. You're in his grip if you're a Christian. He will never let you go. No matter what you're passing through, no matter what you're facing, you are in his grip. Some of us men have got a fairly strong grip. I, I find it difficult when I shake people's hands. Some of them give me a hand like that. And I was taught by my mum, you grip the hand. <laughs> and so, being a working man, my grip's still fairly strong. Nothing like the Lord's grip. In his grip. He will never let you go. Number six, Hebrews 7.25, we're getting through. Whereby he is able to save them to the uttermost, them that come unto him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. To the uttermost. Why would you not come to the Lord, whose mercy and grace know no bounds? Effectual atonement, infallible grace, prevailing intercession. Christ is able to save all who trust in him. And that's not sense he's able in as much as he may or may not. Those who trust in him, we have the certainty that he will trust in him. It's Hebrews 7.25, if you're jotting down these texts as I go through. He is able to save them. Sometimes in the weakness, we have already mentioned, it will drive you to him again and again and again, and you will be brought with the Apostle Paul, when I am weak, then I am strong. Sometimes he takes away everything from us. He abases us. He, he brings us to a very low point. I hope again this isn't your experience. I hope again you don't know what I'm talking about. But if you do, you'll be nodding and saying amen in your heart. But he's able to keep you from falling. You will begin to fall. You'll begin to go down that slippery slope. You'll begin to go on the road that you shouldn't go. And he will prevent you from falling all the way. And it'll be like the, the 99 you're starting to go and he'll come and pull you back. He'll bring you back again. <clears throat> it causes you to cry out, doesn't it? It causes you to cry out to him again and again and again because you hardly know how to continue in, in what he is bringing about you or what you have brought about yourself or the difficulties that you are experiencing. Now to the last verse, the one in our text, Jude 24 now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless for the, for the, excuse me, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now, Christian, you've failed, and you've failed badly. He is able to keep you from falling. He is able to keep you from falling eternally. Romans 8, 28. 
Now all these things work together for good. And that's one of those texts that seems inexplicable. But I've got this going wrong. I've got that going wrong. I've got other situations that I cannot begin to understand. Sometimes you're dealing with a number of complex issues that are driving you almost to the, ex the extent of your patience and understanding. You think, I can't take one more thing. And then the washing machine breaks down and that breaks you. It's only a small thing. Well, the washing machine can break down. That's fine. It's the last straw that breaks the camel's back. He is able to keep you from falling when you are brought to the end of your, t your patience. You have failed. You have fallen catastrophically as far as others. Others would look on if they knew your experience, knew what you're going through, and saying, well, you're beyond what others can experience. Your failure, if it's serious, will have destroyed your, your testimony. It will have destroyed your witness if it was known. Maybe a good preacher, got a filthy temper, maybe a sharp tongue. It, all sorts of things can destroy your, your testimony and can be a result of you giving uh, allegiance or giving uh, way to temptation. In Micah's, gos in Micah's gospel, in Micah's prophecy, Micah 6.8, which I hope you know, he has showed you, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The prophet Micah there has set this very high standard. This is how I want you to live, This is using the word of God. What does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's the standard he has set. Micah 6, 8. Micah 7, 8. Rejoice not against me, O my enemy, when I fall. I shall arise. I don't know, I don't think we do know what brought the experience onto Micah for him to write that. We fall. Don't rejoice against me. We have a God who is able to restore us, however far we have fallen. When I sit in darkness, and if you're struggling, you may be in darkness. The Lord shall be a light unto me. These scriptures become important when life is hard. You read them, and you understand the importance of them then. He is able to restore, to keep you from falling. He is able to prevent you faultless. There are certain texts in the Bible, forgive me ladies for repeating what I said on Wednesday, but there are certain texts in the Bible that I am finding increasingly incomprehensible. Let me very quickly follow that up. This is the infallible word of God. But there are certain texts in there that I find I cannot fully understand. I even begin to wonder whether they're true. They are true, and I will stand here public and say the Bible is true, every single word. But they are so wonderful, you think, can that possibly be true? And our text this evening is able to keep you falling and present you faultless. What, me? Or you? Or you? Do you not know what goes on in my heart? Do you not know what goes on in my mind? Do you not know what I've done? I'm not going to tell you, but do you not know what I've done? He is able to present you faultless. You've fallen. You've failed catastrophically, beyond recovery, as others would say. Yes, but he can still restore you and still present you faultless. And then consider the last phrase here. With exceeding joy. 
is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Can you understand that? Well, we understand the phrase, the terminology, the language, but do, can you understand Jesus Christ taking you and I as sinners as we are, who since we've been converted have still continued to sin and fall short? Can you understand him taking us and presenting us faultless? You know, the picture of the, of the church is the bride of Christ. You get the picture of a, a couple when they're married. I don't know how a marriage takes place here, but maybe the, 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 uh, the bridegroom is there ready and the bride walks in and they come together. And the bridegroom looks at his bride and he thinks it's the most wonderful thing he's ever seen. Well, I hope he does. He ought to. And in that moment, she's faultless. She's dressed as beautiful as she ever will be dressed. And everything about her he's in love with. I don't want to be irreverent, but that something about Jesus Christ looks upon his bride, the church. Who, me? Who, you? I'm going to repeat. Can that be? With exceeding joy. The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. It's able to keep us from falling. Where do you look? Where will you possibly look? when you come to situations that I've alluded to as we've gone through this evening. I'm going to say amen, and I just want to spend a moment in prayer. <coughs> Almighty God, we have covered in and looked at some very hard situations that some of us experience. We have thought of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ wrestling there in Gethsemane, whilst he sweated great drops of blood, knowing exactly what was in front of him, knowing that he could have called 12 legions of angels to whisk him away. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We pray, Lord, in a far lesser experience, you will enable us to make that prayer, that you will bless us and strengthen us and comfort us, and that you will enable us to experience your everlasting arms. Lord, some of us struggle with our own will. Some of us struggle with sin. Some of us struggle with the situations that are facing us. May we be brought to that place that the Lord Jesus Christ was brought to. Thy will be done. And now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Lord, may we rest there. You are able to do more than we can ask or even think or imagine. Bless us then with faith to believe these things. Hold us fast in your word. May we know something of those everlasting arms. And may we at your appointed time see you as you are face to face and be lost in wonder, love and praise that you have been able to save us and to keep us. Amen. Well, our closing <clears throat> hymn this evening is hymn number 795. Return, O wanderer, return and seek an injured father's face. Those warm desires that in thee burn were kindled by reclaiming grace. 
hymn number 795. <clears throat> incomprehensible grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that unfathomable love of God the Holy Father and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs> 